You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada. I am so thrilled to introduce you to Rhiannon, who is a serial entrepreneur and media personality best known for her role leading Canada's most prestigious business and public policy platform. As the CEO and sole shareholder of the Economic Club of Canada for over a decade, Rhiannon has hosted over 2,000 events across the country and sat face-to-face with the highest profile and most recognized leaders of our time, President Barack Obama, Michelle Obama, uh, former president of France, uh, so many policymakers, economists, business leaders, uh, all these folks have graced her stage. She's also the youngest woman in Canadian history to be inducted into the most powerful woman in business hall of fame. She's also the successful founder of Conscious Economics, a not-for-profit that has served over 50,000 youth across Canada and provided future of work and new economy training for intersectional groups of leaders across the country. She's a mother of two boys and an outspoken advocate for building a more conscious economy. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. So those that have yet to discover, let's start with the Economic Club of Canada. How would you wrap up what it does uh, in a a nutshell? How how does it affect us as as regular business people? Yeah, well, it's a a national business platform. It's traditionally been an events-driven organization, Mm. which means that we were doing approximately 100 events a year across the country. And it's really a place where business leaders and community leaders and economists and policymakers all come together to talk about the most important issues that are impacting the Canadian and global economy. Wow. Wow. So how would like, um, like someone's like maybe a member of like the Langley Chamber of Commerce or uh, the Surrey Board of Trade or the Canadian Chamber of Commerce, how how does those intersect or connect in what you're doing? Yeah, so the Boards of Trades um, and the Chambers are definitely also functioning in that way. Um, I guess the big difference is we're a national organization, so not localized to one particular area. Um, And you don't have to be a member in order to attend Economic Club events. So really anybody can attend events if they're interested in particular things. Our membership um, is very accessible in terms of you know the financial cost to that. So again, we're trying to really create, I guess, a, a, a new version of an old historic way to gather. So that's the way it, it kind of has unfolded since I've been at the helm. It was probably more similar to some of those organizations in the past. And the other thing that really sets the Economic Club apart is for the last 10 years, um, I've operated it as a social enterprise, meaning that for every single ticket um, or sponsorship that comes through the senior platform, after operational costs, we push that funding into our not-for-profit, which you mentioned, which is now Conscious Economics, uh, providing opportunities for young leaders and people who may still not find the Economic Club accessible to be able to still bring people into a more centered conversation around the economy and and the way that we can build yeah and and i I want to talk about that because when you say the terms like future of work and new economy some people use the word like not blue collar and white collar but new collar economy what does that mean for you in canada those terms yeah so the new economy to me i use that 
term interchangeably with the conscious economy. And so for that, um, there's four pillars. So I see it as the intersection of people, planet, profit, and art, and how those things correlate to create what is the new marketplace and the new system. So what does that really mean? When I say people, I mean an economy that centers the well-being of people, emotional well-being, physical well-being, spiritual well-being of people. When I talk about the planet pillar, it's not just about sustainability at the center, it's actually building a relationship with nature again and using that as a form of um, practice when we're thinking about our economic and corporate ecosystems. On the profit pillar, it's about realizing that profit can be a force for good um, and being able to create more conscious business and conscious enterprise. Um, and then the last pillar is art, which always kind of like snags people a bit. But I really see um, all of us humans as creative beings. And I think that in the old economy or old frameworks of the economy, um, laborers were just laborers and means to an end. And fulfilling a purpose in the new economy it's in, it's about being able to tap into creativity art innovation um, as really cornerstones to what that whole um, that whole value system looks like uh, that is incredible incredible so when it looks like these the, the youth you know the, the young people that you've been helping what does it look like kind of boots on the ground practically speaking like is there uh, do they have they join clubs or do they come to the sessions or have you kind of lifted up their their feet and their yeah. eyes to what you're doing? Yeah, so we do a whole bunch of different things. We've had seven um, national programs that have run under the the conscious economics used to be called the Junior Economic Club of Canada before we kind of expanded the mandate. So when I talk about that, it's kind of the same organization or the legacy of the organization. So we've had seven different national programs for young people to get involved, everything from bringing young people to Bay Street to really uh, destigmatize what Bay Street is all about. Bay Street, for those of you that are listening from other parts of Canada, is our Wall Street in Canada. So it's the place where all of our kind of centralized corporations and banks are all um, kind of situated. Um, so it's a very powerful part of our country. And a lot of the times people feel really excluded from that. They don't understand how how that all works and what it even feels like to be down there and what industries are there and, and how they can be a part of some of what happens there. So that was the first program that we started, but we've done everything from having a television show where we're giving youth an opportunity to talk with different leaders um, about important issues. Um, and then we started a really cool thing, which was our one-for-one -one, uh, ticket modeling. So what we would do is we do a major event and we'd bring a leader like President Barack Obama or Michelle Obama, and we do a one-for-one -one meeting for every single ticket that was purchased by a business leader. A young leader, 30 and under, would get a free ticket, and then we would actually intermix the tables. So corporations were asked to give up seats at their tables with their executives so that young leaders could actually have face-to-face -face opportunities to connect. And we do this all under the umbrella of building that more conscious economy, conscious dialogue. So I like to kind of reference or I call myself a social innovator and it's because I'm always trying to innovate in these traditional spaces like it's very normal to have a gathering you know with lots of executives in a room but how do we shake that up and how do we transform that and this isn't a charitable act for me this is about innovation so I see young people there's a couple of reasons why it's, it's so important to have young people at the table one is because 
they haven't been as indoctrinated into the system, meaning that they don't have a preconditioned way that they're thinking as much as someone who's been groomed within the colonial labor force. So when you bring someone in who's a little bit more fresh, who's in that malleable part of their life where they're actually learning and exploring and studying, they can actually have really interesting solutions to what seem like very complex problems to people who are more entrenched. So that's one of the simple ways why we invite youth. Um, but the other reason, and it's not about youth just being the future, but if we can actually get youth to be face to face with the current leaders and understand the current issues, then as they go on and lay the seeds for the future of work and the new economy, they have an understanding of that. They have contacts, they have resources to be able to build upon. So it's all these reasons why we do this work. Um, we've also done a lot of really cool reconciliation work. Um, so again, my like favorite thing in the world is melting pots and creating like these spaces where people who wouldn't likely come together can come together. And so, for instance, uh, we did a really, um, really special project when it was Canada's 150th year birthday. Um, and I know that many folks within, you know, your community and Indigenous communities all across the country felt very differently about that memory. It wasn't like, oh, let's spend a lot of money on celebrating and, you know, ads across the country. Let's talk about 150 years of colonization. And so um, we took that very seriously. We created the North Meet South Exchange Program, where we had young people from all across the territory of Nunavut and young people from all across uh, the province of Ontario coming together, living on the land in Nunavut, talking about reconciliation, talking about the future economy and building social enterprise ideas. And then everybody traveled back to the urban center in Toronto and had that experience where we were feeling our high north regions, we were feeling our urban centers, we were collaborating in the spirit of social justice and social change, but using business as the vehicle. So this is just some of the stuff that I love to do. And um, I see business as a tool and a vehicle for social change and for social good. And I want other folks to understand that that is possible. That is incredible. I, I like how you've done the mentoring because I've, I've seen some organizations be like, hey, you're part of this organization, sign up for this extra thing in your life and yeah. an extra step and a big hoop you have to jump through. And then we're going to find youth who have to jump through all these hoops. And it doesn't usually work, but I love that you are, in a sense, organically, but intentionally, in a really healthy way, creating those marketing moments, or sorry, mentoring moments between two people mm -hmm. or and maybe yeah. multiple people. Maybe a person can glean from multiple people at the table. 100%. And it's not just, you know, about the younger people learning from people like in the older generations. It's that cross pollination, like, especially now when we're in the new digital economy, COVID has accelerated all of that. There's so much to glean and to learn that the, you know, the older generations and senior executive leadership really need. And I have just as much compassion for them. Like, they're also navigating a new space in a new world. So it's being able to just bring folks together and yeah, that kind of multi-intersectional mentorship that can happen when you're in a shared space with someone. So a question on kind of like the, the branding marketing side of things, does a brand or organization need to go through the survey steps and the process of becoming B Corp certified to actually be considered a, you know, a socially conscious organization? 
Yeah. I mean, obviously, I think the the introduction of B Corp certification is really cool. And it's a great way to be able to have a measurement and a parameter in place around how do we understand how to measure and activate these things. So I think it's a really important tool. Um, but I do think now we're even moving just beyond that where the new labor force and the new generation, I'm particularly talking about Generation Z and Millennial, are just like building this way. It's just fundamentally a part of uh, who we are and who we want to be. And I always say that each generation that comes onto the planet is more evolved than the last. And I don't mean that in an insulting way, but that's by design. So as we go through and we you know, revolutionize our systems and we learn more and we become more conscious, we actually start creating from that space. And so that is conscious economics. So now we're just seeing young people that they wouldn't build it any other way. It's like those, um, you know, those social justice frameworks and those environmentally conscious frameworks are just embedded in the way that people are designing. So I, it's kind of that both answer, if that makes sense. It's like, it is important, but I'm seeing the trend right now on the corporate, big corporate side around ESG, environmental social governance, um, as a new way to um, sort of regulate and, and monitor how well an organization is performing. But again, it's like who's building the measuring tools and like how are we defining what those are? And so again, when we're trying to create more decentralized or like um, things that are run in the spirit of community and people, it's not always that top-down approach of like, this is what the regulator says and then we all comply to that. So it's just being able to stay really malleable in the way that we think about these things and not locking into any one way, but also understanding that some framework and measurement is always important. That's incredible. And, and I recently interviewed IKEA for the show and, and learning about all the things they were doing for the environment, for their people was incredible. But you know, they, they're too busy almost doing that work to go and get registered with B Corp. Because mm-hmm. they're, they're just mm-hmm. like, let's, let's, what more could we do? And they're feeling not just the social pressure, but they also feel like with our, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, right? To quote mm-hmm. Uncle Ben. Um, and, and they're using it for good, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it is. And and I mean, more and more you're seeing it, this is just the trend now. And it, hopefully it's not just a trend, it's a lasting um, infrastructure change. But you just, you can't really operate in the world that we are currently in without thinking about these things because your consumers will not create that loyalty um, to you. And I think that that's really what people are discovering. It's that market sentiment that's just changed so deeply. Yeah. yeah. So question for you, being an events person, so we are getting out of Zoom world or whatever, hop in, whatever tool you're using. Um, so folks that are maybe in, uh, you know, let's call it anywhere from Squamish to Nanaimo on Vancouver Island to St. John's, Newfoundland, to those in Winnipeg, what can they expect from the Economic Club of Canada that they can experience this year uh, geographically? Or is it going to be, hey, they got to come to Toronto and experience the, you know, the good. Yeah, yeah. So we've always operated across the country, um, popping up in locations all across Canada. We're only just getting started to gathering live again. Our first live event is going to be next month in May. Um, so we've been solely digital since the beginning. I think our last event was January 27th, 2020. And we've been fully digital this whole time. The digital piece has allowed us to actually engage with even a wider 
wider audience across the country, which is beautiful. Um, and we built, uh, we built our own kind of digital events platform where people could still interface, where people could network. Um, it wasn't just like the Zoom situation that, you know, people are kind of growing tired of. Um, so that stuff was all great. Right now, we've got um, some stuff planned immediately in Western Canada and in Central Canada. But again, it's it's kind of like, we'll see where the world takes us. It's, it's so hard to plan long range and long term right now, because like even here in Ontario, we're in a sixth wave. And it's just being able to ride out, you know, are we going to be able to continue gathering? Should we be investing there right now? Or should we continue to be focusing on creating um, that hybrid experience or that digital experience that can help even more? Yeah, that, that's incredible. And for you, as far as um, kind of the next steps, what are you looking forward to the future? Like what's, what's kind of next? What's coming on the horizon that you're like, man, I'm so excited about it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm super passionate about the work that we're doing at Conscious Economics right now. Yeah. And so just for all the listeners, I can, I can share this now. I actually sold the Economic Club um, in June of last year. So I'm no longer the sole shareholder. So I am in my last year serving the organization as president um, and helping with the transition. And then I am fully going into this new economy space of conscious economics. So that is a huge shift for me. It's been well over like 12 years that I've been at the helm of the economic club. And for me, I'm ready for that next piece, that next step. Um, for me right now, um, doing work with artists is becoming increasingly important for me. I really think that artists are the future of the new economy. And I really want artists to be able to see themselves as the innovators, entrepreneurs, um, and leaders that they truly are. And I don't just mean that in their creative medium, but I actually mean at the table, creating public policy, um, helping to shape and design communities, cities, infrastructure. So we're starting to do a lot of really interesting mixed media um, and experiential stuff um, where we're, we're tackling that piece. We also just launched our new music platform, Lunar Studios. Um, so we've signed our first three artists in residence and we have a national project right now um, that's been uh, partly financed by the federal government through the Ministry of Women and Gender Equity. So it's a three-year project all around advancing women within the, the labor force within Canada. And our artists have been sitting in on the deep listening exercise um, where we've gone across the country to really talk about the challenges and the issues that women are facing, and we're making music about it. So it's this policy um, inspired social change music. And again, just trying to find new ways and new languages to use to invite more people into these conversations. Um, because, you know, a white paper can be intimidating, a corporate policy conversation can be intimidating, but music sometimes could have the ability to invite someone into a conversation in a different way. Um, so that piece is really good. And then we've got a couple um, uh, film projects that we're, that we're working on as well. So it's just a whole kind of new space, but I'm taking everything that I've learned and everything that I've gained and I'm putting it into this next space and I'm evolving just like we all continue to. Yeah. That's incredible. And, and structurally, how are you doing? Are you doing a nonprofit, foundation, charity, private business, corporation? Yeah. So we're a nonprofit right now on the conscious economic side. Um, and then I will, um, we have the Global Institute for Conscious Economics, which is a corporation. And so that corporation, when it does um, its major events, will act the same way that the Economic Club 
connected and feed in everything over operation back into the not-for-profit side. So it's kind of that social enterprise model that I really like playing in. Um, I think that it's just, it gives flexibility. Um, I love being able to finance my own projects on the not-for-profit side. I think there's a lot of layers of conversation around like grassroots organizations struggling to fund um, projects that are built by community or for community. Sometimes in the granting world, there can be all these barriers to like who gets the grants and who doesn't. And um, so we love to be able to kind of stay nimble and be able to finance some of our own stuff and then get you know, things that we're eligible for that are aligned as opposed to just chasing things that maybe aren't aligned and having to, yeah, just change our project or, or the way that we want to try to operate. Yeah. That's very healthy. Very, very cool. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What's spring like in Park City, Utah? Imagine waking up on a bluebird day to ski the greatest snow on earth at two world-class resorts, Park City Mountain and Deer Valley. Exploring miles of wide open spaces by snowshoe or cross-country skis. Wandering our historic Main Street with its opera ski scene and award-winning restaurants. When you love it like we love it, Park City, Utah will always be winter's favorite town. Join the experience at visitparkcity.com. And for you, can we talk about kind of your journey to here? Because yeah. tell me about kind of the origin story. How did you go from, you know, doing what you do, whether it's high school or university, to, to what you're doing now? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll give you like uh, the the backstory just so you yeah. can understand the spirit of what drives my work. Um, I yeah. So I was born uh, here in Toronto, um, but I was raised in a household, a single parent household, and uh, there was a lot of struggling in my family. There was addiction issues. I'm a child survivor of domestic violence. Um, I was the first person in my family to even finish high school, um, and so there was definitely some stuff that I was dealing with early on. And 
Um, I lost my way as an early young person. By 15, I was kicked out of school. Um, I was, yeah, dating someone who was like way, way older than me and just like really, really losing myself and my essence. Um, and I had what I call my first awakening experience at 15. Um, I woke up one morning after like a crazy raging party that I had thrown. Um, and I remember I locked eyes with myself in the mirror and it was like tunnel vision. Like, I don't know what happened, but I saw myself and I just knew that I was not put on the planet to do what I was doing. I was fully repeat, repeating a cycle and I was angry. I was hurt. There was trauma there and I was trying to act out, but I was realizing that the only person that was really going to save me was me. And so I ran out into nature. I took a pen and a piece of paper. And for the first time in my life, I wrote goals down for myself. And mm. one of my goals was to be the first person in my family to get an education. And so I ended up getting back into high school, finishing, going to a study at university. And when I got to university, I really wanted to be there. Like I, mm. I was not there to party. I was there. I was there to really break this generational chain. And so I mm. became enthralled with the study of systems, understanding oppression, understanding colonization, social justice. Um, mm. And I was offered this entry level job at the Economic Club of Toronto a couple wow. of weeks before graduating at an event that I was speaking at. It was so wild. It's so amazing how synchronicity in the universe works sometimes. Yeah. Um, but it was just an end of year final project for my undergrad. And it was actually a corporate citizenship project. So it was asking us to come up with solutions using the corporation as citizen to tackle important issues. And the issue happened to be poverty alleviation in Toronto. No one in my class knew that I grew up in poverty and that I was so close to the issue until I bravely shared my story. And so that led me to getting this job offer. And my first uh, event, once I graduated and took the job, we were hosting Bill Clinton. So I was like, what the heck is going on here? Like, how does a kid like me end up in this room, in this space, in this way? And I just took it all very um, to heart, meaning that I knew that there was incredible privilege in me finding myself in the rooms that I was in. And I really wanted to learn as much as I could, um, but also create purpose. And so I just took it as though like I deferred my master's to take this job. And I was like, this is my master's degree. I'm just mm. going to learn everything I can about this world of finance and economics. And then I'm going to use the lens that I see it and see what I can do from there. And so I ended up very quickly um, growing up the ladder at the organization. I just was coming with fresh ideas, a commitment. I was, um, taking some of some of my like street hustling skills from my teenage years and applying those in business and it was working. Um, and I just want to shout out to anyone who may have had a more tra un less traditional upbringing or has gone through different experiences. There's so many ways that those correlate to entrepreneurship, to business. Um, and that's definitely been for me. Um, and so it was all again, a sort of divine timing. Um, my predecessor ended up running for public office. He won the election. I took mm. over in an interim position and then ended up um, eventually buying out the organization. 
changing it to a social enterprise. And this was all, it all happened really fast. Like I was 26 years old when I took over the economic club um, as president and CEO. And that's a story in and of itself. The only piece I'll share just because, you know, I know we're, we're only on an hour conversation here, but um, there is something called the glass cliff. So a lot of people talk about the glass ceiling where they talk about women um, or intersectional groups having a barrier to leadership and they call it the glass ceiling. Like you yeah. can only get up so far and then, you know, there's less and less people that, um, you know, diversity up at the top. I really see something called the glass cliff, which is when someone gets put into a leadership position that they maybe aren't fully prepared for, but it's because behind the curtain, it's a cliff, like something's kind of messed up. And that was exactly my experience. I don't think as a 26 year old woman, I would have been put into the position of CEO if the organization didn't have challenges that I Mm. didn't know about. And so I kind of stepped into a little bit of a hot mess once that whole transition happened. But for me, where I come from, I was like, you don't know me. Like I've been through way worse in my life. So mm. instead of walking away from it, I was like, this is an opportunity and I'm going to take it. Um, so the organization, um, uh, yeah, had to be restructured and I had to kind of refinance some of it and do some things. But it, it was a challenge I was willing to take on for this opportunity of a lifetime, which was to be able to run one of the most established like traditional business platforms in the country from a very non-traditional space of being a young woman who came from where I came from and um, and just being able to really see that as an opportunity as opposed to anything else. So yeah, long, long story, but mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's that. It's incredible. But I think that the unique background allows you to do things uniquely and to see business in a unique way and, you know, mentorship in a unique way really cool mm-hmm. yeah. awesome are you ready for the rapid fire round here i'm so ready yes perfect all right <laughs> what was your first ever job uh it was uh my own business that i started when i was 10 years old which was a dog walking and training called willowdale dog training in my community i had a really catchy jingle and i would like knock door to door to get customers and i was like that was what i did for fun and i was obsessed <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Uh, are you a night owl or an early bird? I'm more of an early bird than a mm-hmm. night owl. I love getting up early in the morning. I like to kind of start my day with meditation and being in nature a little bit. Um, and um, yeah, but definitely like had my late, my, my night owl days. So I've transitioned as I've gotten older. Yeah. A cat or dog person? Dog all the way. Willowdale dog training, obviously being the first business. And um, I love dogs. I'm obsessed. Yeah. Amazing. Dark or milk chocolate? Milk. I like the milk chocolate. I know the dark's healthier, but I'm just all about it. So, yeah. What is your favorite word right now? Ooh. Um, I I really think it's innovation. Um, Hmm. And I know that that might sound cliche, but I think we're at the most um, important turning point that we've ever seen on the planet. Um, I think that everything's kind of coming and culminating to this moment where we're either going to go one way or the other way. And I truly believe in the spirit of creative innovation um, and problem solving and want to embody that in my life. I have like four words that I like to use as my like essence of what I'm trying to be. And those right now for me are artist, visionary, um, conscious, um, and freedom. And I really think that 
when we can kind of find words that are in resonance with what we want to be in the world and how we want people to feel when we show up in a space and really know that, then we can start to embody that in a better way. So yeah, that's what I would say. That's amazing. What's the last charity you supported financially or with your time and, and why? I do a lot of work for a charity called the Rural Urban Learning Association. Um, so they're an organization that's really committed to um, teaching people about climate change and climate solutions. Um, and I'm getting ready. So I volunteered with them on their board for the last couple of years during COVID. And I'm getting ready to actually build my first permaculture garden um, at my house. Um, which is a huge undertaking because um, I've definitely been like a city person that feels even just in my upbringing, I felt really disconnected to nature. So um, being able to do these raised beds and grow some of my own vegetables or try or attempt is something that I'm doing um, alongside the charity. So really exciting. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, what's a movie that you just love? You could watch over and over and over again. Uh, Almost Famous. I am obsessed with that movie. Um, I love music. I love music culture. Um, and that is just a classic for me. So I could watch it over and over again. That is amazing. Uh, favorite song or album on repeat right now? Oh my goodness. I am going on an old Tracy Chapman kick again. Yeah, so yeah. Um, loving Tracy Chapman. We just got an old um, record player. And so we've been yeah. going out and like sourcing records. Um, yeah. So I've had her her album on repeat right now. I don't I don't think it's the greatest hits. I think it's it's got all the classics like Fast Car and yeah. talking about a revolution. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's definitely one that is on repeat for us right now. Yeah. Nice. And if you weren't doing this job, what would you be doing with your life? Well, I always wanted to be a singer songwriter myself. Mm -hmm. That was like what I thought I was going to do and um, played in some bands earlier on and did some different things. So it's interesting that I'm working with so many artists and musicians again. Mm -hmm. And I just recently, and not that I'm sharing any of this publicly, but I recently picked back up my guitar and have been writing just some stuff for myself. Um, so maybe something in music would be where I would be. And I kind of already am doing that in some strange way, some strange economy way. <laughs> That's really cool. What, what's an app on your phone you just can't live without? Okay, this is so weird and cheesy, but it's called Patterns and it's an astrology. Um, okay. It's an astrology app and it yeah. basically gives you, it tells you like upcoming astrological cycles that are going to influence. And I find it yeah. creepily accurate and I'd like for you to get it and yes. check yourself out because yeah. it's really anyone who um has it like we all are like totally creeped out like the the app knows our, us better than we know ourselves that is that is awesome uh favorite children's book Ooh, um i think i always really liked charlotte's web um, um yeah. I there was just like some magic in that story that I liked. Um I have two sons and my my younger son right now is just absolutely obsessed with Where's Waldo. I know that's mm -hmm. not like great literature, but <laughs> but it is a classic um as well. So, yeah. Mhm. Mm oh, amazing. Uh, best thing you ever bought for under $10? Ooh, best thing I ever bought for under $10. Mhm. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, 
I I don't know. I can't even okay. think. That's okay. We'll come um, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. No. What? <laughs> next question. What's the most important thing you ever changed your mind about? Mm, I think about myself. Um, um, I I really do. I think that sometimes in life we can get really caught on thinking that we know who we are, our trajectory. Um, we can let some of our failures define us. And for me, I've had a couple of moments in my life where I've been like, ooh, I don't want to go that direction anymore and changed. And one of those times was 15. And another one of those times was in 2017. I had a near-death experience and I just decided to change. And I did. And one of the big things for me was I took alcohol out of my life, which I know is like quite a personal share. But with my generational trauma and everything that existed, I really found that that was something that was bringing me down um, and dimming my light. And that's just my own experience. But yeah, so I think you can, you can change yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that's, that's incredible. Great way to look at it. Um, business or marketing book that you recommend? Ooh, um, I, well, I'm gonna, this is maybe so like awful to do, but I've written a business uh, book yeah, no, uh, with my partner um, and it's going to be coming out later this year. And so it's waking up to conscious business. Hmm. Um, and um, it's, it's really an interesting kind of take at looking at some uh, philosophically, we look through like an Eastern and a Buddhist lens, and then we mm -hmm. apply that lens to business. Um, and to try to understand, like, can we have a, a system that mm -hmm. operates that is both conscious, but also a free market system? And it kind of explores the intersection of that. Amazing. Um, mm -hmm. Podcast or newsletter or website you recommend for inspiration? Resources. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the podcasts that I really, really, really love is actually called To Be Magnetic. Um, okay. And they interview a bunch of different conscious business leaders and um, uh, people that are kind of trained in, in psychology. And it's really, really interesting place to kind of talk about this idea of manifestation, which might sound woo-woo, but it's really not. It's really coming down to neuroscience and how we can kind of retrain our minds to be able to see to believe that new things can exist, not only in our lives, but in business and within the economy. So I know that's mm -hmm. like a bit of a wacky um, maybe thing. It's called To Be Magnetic. It's got mm -hmm. a great podcast. I love it. And I listen to it weekly. Yeah. That, that is awesome. Um, skills required for a new economy when people are looking to get jobs and, and get hired and do applications what are the things that they need to see in their resume or just to develop for themselves yeah i would say that the most important skill for the new economy is emotional intelligence um mm -hmm. is this ability to really like harness um our human technology we're in such a space where we're working so much with technology and online and whatever else. So how do we actually bring out our human technology, meaning understanding our own mind-body connection, understanding how to actually, like, when are you most creative? When are you most mm -hmm. innovative? When are you not? Do you know your own cycles? Do you mm -hmm. know how to work within your own framework um, to be able to, you know, deliver for an organization when need be, but also be able to replenish yourself. So these are some of the things we explore at Conscious Economics. Um, and yeah, I just think that these are really, really important skills. It's consciousness skills, and it's being able to build that deeper awareness of self 
because that's how we actually create systemic and, and societal change is individually working on where we perpetuate maybe the old values ourselves and then mm -hmm. being able to step into the new. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, and where can people get hold of you or find you or follow you online? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. I am on very active on Instagram. So I'm Rhiannon Roseland there. And you can also check out consciouseconomics.ca or lunarstudios.ca. And we do a whole bunch of stuff. One of the things that I'll invite people to is we do a monthly economic healing session. Right. Um, so we have an in-house financial therapist and yeah. we basically talk about our relationship to money and the economy through this therapeutic lens and we kind of start to retrain and learn through storytelling and really shifting our focus so that we can build build the conscious economy yeah and it's free wow. yeah that that is incredible uh we're gonna put all the the notes to this in the show notes as well um, thank you for joining us today. This was inspirational, encouraging, and, and so awesome to know that this is happening, especially for uh, you know, going forward. It gives, it gives a lot of hope. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us uh, this week on Marketing News Canada. And we'll see you next time on the show. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.